Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today is known as Quinquagesima, our 50th day, for we are now 50 days from the resurrection of our Lord. As you probably also know, 50 days after the resurrection is the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. So it is a significant number and a significant day. Today we will examine our gospel from Luke chapter 18. And it's interesting to note that nine chapters earlier in Luke chapter 9, Jesus sets his sights on Jerusalem. He turns and sets his face toward Jerusalem. Now normally a journey to Jerusalem would be nothing new, even for the Lord Christ. For he had been to Jerusalem in his person bodily to many times earlier, especially for the annual Passover celebration. And when Jesus was just 40 days old, his family, following the Old Testament law in Leviticus, brought Jesus to the temple. But this time, in Luke chapter 9, when Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem, things are going to be much different. For he is going to Jerusalem as he had prophesied in today's gospel, and as he had done several times earlier, he is going to the holy city to fulfill his passion, to go to the cross and take away the sin of the entire world. Now, it should be evident that there is much sin in this world. Perhaps that sin is most manifest when we watch from a distance Russia invading Ukraine. Like many wars, it is unnecessary. Russia does not need to attack or topple or control a sovereign nation. The Ukrainians, as you are probably well aware, are fighting. They certainly have the advantage of being at home, but they don't have the sheer population that Russia has, nor can they respond with nuclear weapons should Russia choose to use theirs. And the evil nature of mankind is clearly seen when mankind engages in war. Many who would prefer to live peaceful lives are conscripted or manipulated into action and war, and those whose lands are being attacked are forced to then defend themselves. We don't know the future. We don't know how all of this is going to pan out. We don't know if the Ukrainians will be forced into a new government, if they will surrender, and if they surrender, if we'll just carry on as if nothing happened, forgetting as fast as we've forgotten what has happened in, in Afghanistan. We don't know if the whole world will get caught up into yet another world war, and we don't know what the casualty will count will be for this totally unnecessary act of aggression. When examining sin in this world and our need for a savior, for Jesus to go up to Jerusalem to take away our sins through his, his death, we do not need to even though look to world events like these to see how debased man is. Instead, we could look at our own selves. Jesus reminds us to first take the plank out of our own eyes before we look at the specks that are found in our neighbor's eyes. 
It is tempting to look at others and consider their sin. It's easy to consider how others have hurt us and what evil deeds others have done when considering the need for Jesus to come into this world and save the world from sin. We are tempted to consider our own persons as being well above average. We think of ourselves as rather swell people while looking at others as the basest creatures on earth. But if Jesus goes to the cross to pay for the world's sin, we must recognize that we are part of this world and that we ourselves are sinners and are in need of Jesus to do this even for us. For we have all sinned in thought, word, and deed. We are not exempt from inheriting that sin of Adam. In fact, our own sins that we have committed have been nothing but atrocious. Perhaps our worst sins have been the many ways in which we have tried to cover them all up, attempting to make ourselves look so good and grand before the world as if those other people are the sinners and we're the most darling saints. For such ways are certainly unbecoming of, Christian, uh, unbecoming of Christians when we cannot stand before God like the tax collector did at the temple and plead guilty of our sin. For that is not the way of faith when we refuse to admit our own sinfulness and unworthiness. You see, faith says, yes, Lord, I have sinned by my fault, by my own fault, by my own most grievous fault. As faithful Christians, we do not, we don't even attempt to try to rationalize our sin away. We don't try to normalize it, saying, well, everyone else is doing it. We don't try to justify it, saying that, well, this happened in my life and that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Instead, we come before God, our gracious God, our loving Lord, and we confess our sin and we receive his absolution. We can confess our sins of refusing to help others like the disciples who were bothered by this blind man who's crying out after Jesus. We can confess our sin of exalting ourselves and our abilities above others like the Corinthians were doing at the writing of Paul in 1 Corinthians, which, which is centered around the events in today's epistle. For there, in the Corinthian church, they were bragging about who had the greatest spiritual gifts, and they were putting down those who had no spiritual gifts or were not granted certain spiritual gifts. We can confess our sins of expecting God to reveal himself apart from the scriptures, which is part of the problem with the Corinthians. That's why Paul says we know in part, but that which is perfect will come. That which is the scriptures, the New Testament is written, then we will know what God wants us to know. And he gives us his complete revelation that we need so that we know who we are in Christ and what he has done for us and for our salvation. And we can also confess our lack of love, that love that Paul so beautifully describes in our epistle. Why can we do this confessing? Because Jesus fulfilled what the Father sent him to do. Because Jesus did 
what Jesus himself was, had prophesied and what the prophets of the Old Testament had prophesied concerning him. Jesus was going to Jerusalem to die. He was going to Jerusalem to pay for the sin of the world on the cross. He was going to Jerusalem to make a payment which we could not render ourselves and to do it on our behalf. The punishment that we deserve for our many sins was placed on Jesus, and he suffered that penalty willingly on your behalf. It's interesting that when the disciples heard from Jesus why he is going to Jerusalem, St. Luke reports that they understood none of what he said. Even though Jesus had, repeat, had said this a couple of times earlier, and even though the Old Testament had prophesied that Jesus would come to bear our sins in his body and be our savior from sin, the disciples did not grasp what Jesus was saying. They are now with Jesus into this third year of his ministry, and they're still blind, if you will, to what Jesus has come to do. Perhaps the thought of our Lord's death and resurrection seemed all too surreal. But maybe it's just simpler than that. You see, our sin blinds us. Our sin blinds us to our own sinfulness. And Satan would have it so that our sin would blind us to hearing of who Christ is and what he has done for us and for our salvation. Those who figure they need a savior are on the decrease in our society. Many don't think they need salvation from their sins. Let me show you how you can do a litmus test on that. Just go up to people and tell them to repent. They'll get mad at you. They don't think they need to because they don't think they have anything to repent of. They don't think they then need a savior. Many are blind to the existence of God. They don't see how the heavens declare the glory of God. They, don't, they no longer listen to their conscience in which the law is written into their own hearts. Many are blind to the mercies of God, how God in love sent Jesus to be our Savior. Many are blind of their need for a Savior, or, and they are also blind to God's call for God's people to gather and worship. Now, some feel that they have their savior when they have achieved financial success and can live comfortable lives. Others figure the government is their savior as they receive all sorts of social benefits to help them get by in this life. And others consider the freedoms that they enjoy in this country as their ultimate savior. Some cannot distinguish their freedoms given to them by this country, ultimately from God, from the Christian faith. While, the world while world events can show us that these saviors will not ultimately save us, the savior of government, the savior of money, the savior of comfortability, the savior of freedom, we don't even need to look that far. We can see our own frailty when even our own health fails us or when we suffer in mind or in body. We can see our own weakness when we become injured. We can see our own weakness in that savior of money when we question if our dollar will be worth something 
as we, at least in Lexington, witnessed that our gas, natural gas prices went up by two and a half times in just a month. Those earthly props that seem to keep us so comfortable are fleeting, and they can go away quickly. And sometimes that is the mercy of God, to take those things away from us. And what never leaves us is God's own mercy, the promise of sending the Messiah. The promise of sending the Messiah never went away. Despite the great rebellion of the people throughout the Old Testament, God kept on promising through the prophets that Jesus would come. Above all, Jesus' own promise to go to Jerusalem never went away. Even though the twelve had continually sinned before Jesus, even Jesus had to rebuke Peter on several occasions, Jesus didn't say, well, I'm not going to the cross for you, but he went to the cross for him anyway. Jesus' promise never went away. Even though the disciples were blind to what Jesus was saying, did not understand or grasp what Jesus had said, that he must go to Jerusalem and be handed over to the Gentiles, Jesus never stopped fulfilling his promise. He still went to the cross. He went to Jerusalem to be mocked and shamefully treated, spit upon, to be flogged and killed. Through that brutality of man, Jesus, though, was paying for the sins of the entire world, including your own sin. For Jesus bore in his body the world's sin. That is why the Father had forsaken Jesus as he was dying on the cross, and why the wrath of God was now upon Jesus as he was dying there on the cross. Those who crucified Jesus thought that they were doing the world a favor as they were eliminating the man whom, whom they thought was a big menace. Those who hated Jesus were rejoicing at the reality that Jesus is now dying, but what they were doing in their evil thoughts and inclinations and schemes, God was actually using for their good. It was the way by which Jesus was paying the penalty for our many sins. And for that, we give praise and thanks to God like the blind man did and the people who had witnessed our Lord's many miracles. We give praise to God as the crowd had witnessed Jesus restore the sight of this blind man. We give praise to God when he restores our own sight so that we're illumined by the gospel and the light that Jesus brings, for he is the light of the world. And we give thanks to God that he has even revealed, illumined to us our own sinfulness so that we turn, return to our Lord in making our petitions before him pleading guilty of our sin and receiving the forgiveness of our sin. We give thanks that Jesus reveals our sight by showing us our sinfulness and need for a Savior, by bringing us off of our self-righteous pedestals and bring, so that we bring our petitions before the Lord. When he proclaims the gospel to us and when he keeps our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, now, in Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus is described as that author and perfecter of our faith, that we fix our eyes on Jesus. The Greek word for perfecter there has the same 
root word, the same Greek word it, when Jesus says in our gospel, everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Perfecter will be accomplished. For Jesus perfects our faith and accomplishes that even better than saying will be accomplished, will be completed. Jesus completes this on the cross. So he perfects our faith and accomplishes, that is, he completes our salvation. For Jesus is the one who does the action. He works faith in us through the Holy Spirit by means of the word and the sacrament. Our faith rests in Christ, who, was com who, who completed our salvation by going to the cross. In fact, what I think is quite interesting, this Greek word that I referenced, the one that talks about him being the perfecter of our faith, and then he says he will accomplish these things. The future of, this is the future of that word. Uh, a more present type of that word is found when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. All will be accomplished, he says, using the future of the exact same word when on the cross in John's gospel, Jesus announces it is finished. What's finished? He has defeated sin, death, and the devil on the cross. When Jesus declared it is finished, he has fulfilled that which was written by the prophets, which Jesus references in today's gospel. He has truly taken away the sin of the world. He rendered himself as the ransom payment for our sin. He shed his innocent blood on our behalf, and therefore there is nothing for us to atone our are nothing left for us to atone for. Jesus did it all. And so we give thanks and praise to God for he has certainly done all things well. In fact, giving thanks and praising God is a form of prayer for it is a humble submission to God, acknowledging that he is in charge of all things and that he is the source of every good thing. And that remains true even now. God remains good despite the evil intents and inclinations of man. God remains good despite the evil thoughts that we ourselves are our, 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 our own evil sins. And God gives us good things, especially through his son. And God ultimately promises to bring us to himself in heaven. And so we must not lose focus of that reality as we face our daily lives with all of its uncertainties. It is easy to worry and be troubled by all that is going on around us. A pandemic that's been going on for two years, wars that never seem to cease. Once we seem to have a moment of peace, something else arises. And even from our own sinful temptations. But that's why we turn to the Lord in faith as the blind man did. We pray without ceasing. We pray as he did, Lord, have mercy on me. We pray when we don't understand while such evil events are going on. We pray when we are suffering like the blind man did in our body. We pray when we realize we're not in control. We pray. We pray for Putin. We pray for the Russians. We pray for the Ukrainians. We pray for our own country. We pray for our family and friends. We pray for our health and the well-being of others. We pray for the spiritual health of ourselves and others. We pray for our churches, our pastors, our missionaries, our seminary students. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray. And he teaches us to pray without ceasing. 
the temptations we face and the evils of this world should drive us to the Lord in prayer. Our prayers are not to be done only individually when we rise up or go to bed, but our prayers are also to be done corporately with our own families as we gather around the table for our meals and as we engage in family devotions. And we, of course, pray as we gather here in God's house in the divine service. Today is the day of prayer. On Wednesday, we begin the 40 days of Lent. We are blessed with another opportunity to gather together in prayer, not just once a week, but now twice a week. And so we use the upcoming season of Lent. Let's do so wisely. We use it wisely as we discipline our bodies, as we engage in spiritual exercises of prayer and the study of God's word, and as we gather in God's house twice a week for prayer and reception of Christ's gifts. These blessings are sure and certain, even during difficult and uncertain times. We gather in prayer. For Christ is risen and he grants you the victory. Thanks be to God. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting.